We continue our study in the letter of Philippians. Today we will be Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. We probably will not get through all six verses, but that's okay. We'll leave it for part two next week. But we have a lot to cover this morning. The big idea, the title of the sermon today is The Advancement of the Gospel. And the big idea is the advancement of the gospel can actually benefit from difficult personal circumstances. Again, maybe some of us have recently gone through something difficult in our lives. Maybe some of us are going through something difficult at this moment. Or if not, we will surely soon be going through something difficult in our lives. That's uh, something normal for the Christian and for anyone. And, you know, really, they, everyone goes through hard times in this life. But two things that we're going to get from that. As Christians, by showing unbelievers the reality of our relationship to Christ. And secondly, by showing believers our example of joy and faithfulness, which gives them courage to proclaim the gospel. So I want to start off with the question, what is our primary goal in life? Maybe when you're growing up, you're like, what do I want to do in this life? What do I want to accomplish? Even as adults, what we, what's our primary goal in life? What is our passion? What fires you up? What stirs you up? What excites you? What do we live for? For Paul, the answer was easy. For me to live is Christ. Is that our desire? Is examine our hearts inside of us. Do we can we agree with Paul? Can we say that truly in our lives that for us to live is Christ? And if it's not, we got to just pray and ask the Lord to stir in us that passion to live for him. The advancement of the gospel was foremost in his thinking. He was totally wrapped up in living out his divine commission to be an apostle to the Gentiles in proclaiming the goodness of salvation in Christ. His personal circumstances or comforts in this life were not his primary concern. We saw the importance of fellowship in the gospel, but how can some people have an impact for Christ given their other responsibilities or difficult circumstances in, in life? Maybe you're like, I want to do this for Christ. I want to do that for God. But you don't know, Pastor Kevin, my life right now is a mess. I'm going through so much hardship and trials and things are tough right now. So I got to put that off to the side and focus on my problems, on my circumstances. And that's not what Paul is doing here. That's not what the Christian should be doing. What chance do you have to advance the gospel when you work, when you work a full time job? You're busy working, you have a business, you're, you have a lot on your plate. Again, what chance do you have to advance the gospel when you work a full-time job? When you're busy at home raising three children, you might be a wife, a mom, and you're busy, your kids have a lot, you know, a lot of things that you got to take care of them, the food, make sure that they're safe and whatnot, Getting, having the house clean. What chance do you have when you're busy at home raising three children, when there, there is poor health, maybe you're struggling with some ailments in your health or poverty or other hardships in life. There are many things that may be going on in your life 
and your circumstance right now is difficult, but what chance do you have to advance the gospel? Paul certainly didn't have what we would judge to be the most advantageous circumstances. Paul didn't have a big salary, no fancy office, no radio or TV ministry, no publishing house distributing his letters, no flock of servants to wait on him to hand and foot. Instead, he was under house arrest in Rome and appears that the pressure of his situation has been turned up a few notches with the immediate events surrounding his trial. He's in jail. He's locked up in prison. Yet he's full of joy and full of purpose, full of passion. He's not, his circumstances isn't all that great to the eyes of, of the world. He was concerned that believers such as his faithful supporters back in Philippi might misinterpret his difficulty and become disillusioned and discouraged. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, it starts off with, I want you to know, brothers, note the importance of our personal testimony. Our silence can be taken the wrong way. Sometimes we got to speak up. We got to talk. Times of persecution throughout church history. These have also been the times of the most effective growth of the church, not just in numbers, but in the depth of knowing God and fruitfulness in serving him. Maybe, sir, maybe it's coming to us soon. Persecution of the church of Christians for voicing out what you believe the Bible, God's word says. Look at the church in China. They're being persecuted. Yeah, it's growing. Underground churches are being planted and people are coming into Christ. It's in the midst of persecution, Christ, his church grows. God's church grows. If you're able, please set for the reading of God's word. We will be reading Philippians chapter 2. We're reading verses 12 through 18. The advance of the gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that what, what, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my imprisonment. And my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the words without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only in that in every way, whether in pre pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, asking you to speak to us through your word, Lord, that we would be bold and that we would have passion, that we would... Lord, whatever circumstance we are, Lord, it may be a, a hard trial, tri uh, tribulation, difficulty, Lord, health-wise, our relationships, maybe our job, whatever it is, Lord, help that our eyes will be set on you, Lord, and the mission that you've called us, Lord, to seek and save the lost and to uh, carry out your mission, the Great Commission, Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would embolden us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The advancement of the gospel can actually benefit from difficult personal circumstances. The Apostle Paul's personal circumstances looked bleak. The things relating to me trace his sufferings from Acts 16 when God began a good work in, in their hearts to the present. What difficult circumstance are you facing today? What are you going through right now in your life that is hard, that is difficult? 
Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. As I was reading this, um, I was encouraged and I was a little bit rebuked because I'm like, we sometimes complain about our lives and what's going on in our lives and how hard it is and how difficult it is. Look at what Paul has gone through for the gospel, for Christ. Are we going through any of these things in our lives? It says in verse 23, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments. Look at that, imprisonments with countless beatings, that one. And often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews only the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from the false brothers in toil and hardship through many, sleep, many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Does it look like the Apostle Paul is living his best life now? He sure is not. Yet he's full of joy. He's full of passion. He's full of excitement for the gospel of Christ. Paul did not focus on his personal difficulties and he did not want others to be burdened down in a wrong sense either. He knew how to focus on living for Christ and how to live above his circumstances. That's as Christians, as we grow, as we mature, we got to learn how to live for Christ and how to live above our circumstances because our happiness may Go away once life gets tough and it gets hard, but the joy can still remain in us if we put our eyes on Christ. What has happened to me has really served, says in the scripture, verse 12. The result of his difficult circumstances is unexpected from the natural perspective. These difficult circumstances have promoted the advancement of the gospel. Word originally denoted making headway in spite of blows and so depleted, depicted progress. The verb is used in the sense to promote, to further in the sense of prosperity and progress. It was a military term used of engineers who would prepare a road for the advancing army by removing the obstructions such as rocks and trees. Paul did not view difficulty with self-pity. He was not concerned how circumstances affected him. Rather, he asked the question, how can this problem be used to proclaim the gospel in a distinctive way? We got to ask ourselves that when we're going through something tough and hard in our lives. How can this problem be used to proclaim the gospel in a distinctive way? Paul, was, Paul saw a beginning in what some called an end. Maybe some people, man, if you end up in jail, that's it. It's over, right? There's nothing you could do there. But Paul said, no, God can use me here in jail. And he walked through open doors, which others co concluded to be closed and locked. Rooted here in a conviction as reformed people, we believe in the sovereignty of God, right? Paul believed in the sovereignty. He's convicted of the sovereignty of God who is working out his divine plan in history, able to transform seemingly bad circumstances into good results for the perspective of eternity. People are actively promoting all sorts of worthless causes, right? We see that all over. People promoting this and that. 
Everyone seems to have a cause for which to speak. Loudly from the rooftops, they proclaim the things they seek, often for, needless, for a needless cause and often to deceive. Should not we who know the Lord declare what we believe? Are you declaring what you believe in your life? No matter what circumstance you find yourself, maybe you, you're like waiting for the time where everything is good, then I'm going to talk about Christ to the people I know. But right now things are hard, so I can't talk about it. But no, you can talk about it, even if you're going through something hard in your life at the moment. Our materialistic culture is very interested in personal advancement, selfish ambition, job promotion, self-help, courses, etc. But who has a heart for pro promoting God's interests? Are we interested in promoting God's interests? Another self-check to our own hearts. Do we have the same goal that Paul had? Can we look back over the varied paths of our circumstances to see how God has been using us to advance the gospel? We think if we could just change our circumstances, then we'd be happy. If we had no problems, then we could face life. The difficulty with that line of thinking is this. It's impossible. Happiness only comes from happenings. So in order to be happy, you must have a constant supply of good happenings. Now, do we have that? No, right? We have a lot of obstacles that come in our path. But friends, brothers, sisters, if that's what you want out of life, you're going to be very unhappy. How is your joy this morning? I'll examine your heart. How is your joy this morning? In fact, as a Christian, to live that way is to live no different from the world. Non-Christians are the ones who go from fun event to the next fun event seeking happiness. They move from sex to the latest movie, from marriage to divorce to children, from house to cool car to big vacations. But the rest of their life, the majority of their life when something isn't happening is empty. Are you empty this morning or are you full of joy that is in Christ? God has a better plan for the Christian Whereas happiness is external, joy is internal, and it's not dependent upon circumstances. That's how you know it. Do I have joy or do I have happiness in my life? Because happiness is external, but joy is internal, and it's not dependent upon circumstances. Happiness is a trip to Disneyland. Imagine, remember, when you tell your kids they're going to Disneyland, see how they get. They get all happy and excited. Happiness is a trip to Disneyland, but joy is continually with you, you live to, as you live in Christ. Paul knew the secret of joy in Christ. And as he continues writing to the Philippians, now in verse 12 and following, he shares with us how to be joyful no matter what. How to be joyful no matter what. He tells us that what his consuming passion is and how it brings him joy no matter what is happening in his life. You ask, well, you don't know my problems, Pastor Kevin. You don't know how much things I'm going through in my life. You might be asking yourself that question. How can I be joyful no matter what? I'm under some horrible circumstances. My question is this. What are you under there? If you're a Christian, our Lord is a better, has a better place for you to be. If you think your circumstances are difficult, remember what Paul has been going through. Look at Paul. Look at the things that he went through in his life. Yet he still had joy. Why can't you and I still have joy in our lives? He was arrested unjustly. He narrowly escaped a plot to kill him. He's locked up in prison for two years in Caesarea. Finally, he's shipped to 
to Nero for trial, but on the way there, he was shipwrecked and bitten by a snake. When he finally makes it to shore, how nice, right? How nice his life is going. Finally, he gets to Rome. He's confined under house arrest for two more years, during which time he's continually chained to a guard, awaiting an uncertain future of execution or release. For five years, Paul's been out of action, which has prompted some Christians to suggest that Paul is all washed up and his ministry was over. Yet in spite of all these horrible circumstances and hurtful chrisms, as Paul says in 118, verse 118, Philippians 118, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pre and pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. That's where his joy is in Christ being proclaimed. Is our joy in Christ being proclaimed, or do we always look at our own personal circumstances that we're in? That's something just to examine ourselves, examine our hearts, our lives. Paul says, I have real joy. Can you say that this morning? I have real joy in your life, in your heart. That's impressive. How could Paul say that? What was Paul's secret to joy in the midst of difficult circumstances? How did he remain such a positive person, delighting in his difficulties, triumphing in his troubles, what was the driving force behind his joy? As Paul shares his situation with the Philippians in verse 12 through 14, he'll model how to be joyful no matter what. Before we do, let's, let me describe the overall picture. The next major section of Philippians includes verses 12 through 26. This is where Paul shares about his personal situation and reflects on his imprisonment and on his, and its outcome. He talks about what is happening to him presently and what may happen to him in the future. Paul sees his present situation in verses 12 through 18 as advancing the gospel. And that's what we'll talk about this week and next week. Paul sees his future situation in verses 19 through 26 as glorifying Christ and building up the Philippians. There is one word that defines this entire section, and that word is progress. We all like progress, right? We all don't like to be stuck and not be moving. We want progress moving forward. Look at verse 12 and then verse 25. They are the bookends to this section. Verse 12 and verse 25. Let's read verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress. Right there, underline that word. Progress of the gospel. Progress to move forward. And verse 25. And convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says... No matter what's going on around me, I rejoice because progress is being made. The gospel progresses and your growth in Christ progresses. Amen? I hope that we're growing in our faith with Christ. I hope that our pro there's progress in our life, that we're growing in our maturity, in our likeness to Christ, that we're not the same as we were last week, a month ago, a year ago, that there's growth in our lives. That's how you see that Christ is working in your life. You're, moving, you're growing, you're maturing. So whether I live or I die, whether I'm slandered or praised, jailed or released, God is being glorified. That should be our motivation and our encouragement that whatever it is that's happening in our lives, Christ is being glorified. This section tells us Paul's secret to joy. His focus is not on his circumstances, but on Christ and the gospel. On Christ and the gospel. Paul says, hey, it doesn't matter if I have to play nose guard 
the entire game as long as my team wins. I don't care if I am chained up at home with six kids as long as they grow up to impact the world for Christ. I don't care if I'm shackled to my work as long as I support the work of Christ around the world financially. It doesn't matter if I am tied to this hospital bed as long as I can share Christ and show him off. Is that our attitude, you guys? Is that our mindset? That should be our attitude and our mindset. As long as I can share Christ and show him off. Paul is going to tell us in verse 12 to 14 that all the bad, quote unquote, all the bad that has happened in the last five years was actually good. Since Christ was being made known to unbelievers and Christians now have more courage to speak of Christ to unbelievers. I have a great joy because the passion of my life is being fulfilled. That's how that should be our passion as believers, the same passion that Paul has. I have a great joy because the passion of my life is being for what makes you tick, what drives you. Sharing Christ ought to be the central, what to be central in your heart, which actually is the overall key to a joyful heart. If you've ever shared the gospel with, a, with somebody, a stranger, a family, a co-worker, there's joy that when you, when you share it, there's a joy in your heart. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have. And that's a supernatural joy that God puts in you. That's, that's what we're created and made for, to talk about the wonders of what God has done in our lives. How are we to find joy in the midst of difficult times? How do we find joy in the midst of difficult times? Point one, passionately pursuing God's purposes. Notice in verse 12 and following, even though it's a highly personal section, Paul hardly talks about himself. We don't see here Paul talking about himself. One, once because if a, if a Phroditus will fill the Philippians and on, on all the details about Paul, and two, because Paul is so focused on advancing the gospel, he doesn't care about himself. Paul's not caught up in his own, what, me, 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 I, 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 I. He says in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater purpose of the gospel, the progress of the gospel. If you're going to rise above your circumstances, you've got to get your eyes off yourself and onto Christ. You guys hear me? If you're going to rise above your circumstances, you've got to get your eyes off yourself and onto Christ. Ingrown eyeballs result in the loss of joy. When you're so caught up in your own life and what's going on in you and you don't look to God, to Christ, you lose your joy and you look at anything or any, anyone other than Christ. If you seek an idol, your house, your car, your job, your business, your savings, whatever it is that you're focused, so focused on and it's not Christ, you will not have joy. Your happiness will fade and will go away when the tough, when the tough things in life come at you. And you're sure to sink if you take your eyes off Christ and put them on the waves of your problems. We all have problems. Look at Paul. Ask Peter. I mean, ask Peter when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he sunk. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul reminds us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul reminds us, And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Do we live for ourselves? No. We live for Christ. You don't live for you, for your issues, your problems, or your circumstances. You live for Christ. 
If you're a real Christian, then in Matthew 16, 24, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is the call to you as a Christian. Take up your cross and follow me. Is that easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. That's what we're called to do. We're not called to live our best life now. As a, a famous pastor and preacher says it here in America. Our best life comes later, amen? A true Christian denies self, dies to self, and follows a only Christ. And joy is only found in living for him. If you're not having full, full of joys, maybe you're not living for him. Ask yourself, maybe I'm not living for Christ. That's why I have no joy in my life. And joy is only found in living for him. How can you stop looking at your problems? Live by faith and not fear. Live by faith and not fear. Many won't because they refuse to live by tr the truth instead of emotion. Sometimes we're so caught up in emotion that we forget the truth of God's word right here. Remove yourself from emotion. I mean, emotion is good, right? But it changes and our hearts deceive us. They won't take God at his word and say, Lord, I will act on your truth and not listen to the fears or doubts in my heart. I take my stand on truth, not my terror, not my fear. Let's stand on God's word and have faith and not live in fear. Rely upon some key promises of scripture. Carry your quiet time with, your, with you throughout the day through meditation, memorization, reminders, and accountability relationships. Rely upon some key promises of scripture. Let's dive into the scripture. Let's dive into the word and grow our faith that way. Number three, busy yourself with God's purposes, reaching the lost and building up Christians, which is discipleship. Don't just go to work, go to witness and build up believers. Be a test, be a, be a light, be salt, be, use your testimony, speak the gospel to people there at your, at your job. Don't just care for kids, share Christ to them and others throughout the day. Be busy yourself with God's purposes. Remember, number four, with Christ, there are no accidents. With Christ, there are no accidents. Jesus never makes a mistake. Your problems have a purpose. There's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. There's a reason why God put that in your life. Maybe to draw you closer to him. Maybe to have trust in him, right? Because maybe your faith may be weak and he wants to build your faith to be stronger. But we don't see it that way. We just complain and groan and moan and say, God, this isn't fair. Take this away from me, right? Look carefully at verse 12. Phrase by phrase, so now we can determine Paul's intent, meaning as Paul begins to expose his heart and God's unique will. Now, I want you to know, this is like when we say, let me tell you what is really going on. You've been hearing, I'm in prison, chained to a guard, but God has been working in some incredible ways. Let me give you the straight scoop. That is what Paul is saying here. Paul says, I can't wait to share this with you, brothers. Paul calls them brothers, reminding the Philippians and us that we are in the same family because of the work of Christ and making us God's sons and daughters through adoption. We're family in Christ. We're brothers and sisters, he's saying to them. Paul wants to tell his family what's really going on by implication. He says, you've heard I'm in chains. He's locked up. He's in chains, which from a human perspective would seemingly stop the ministry of the gospel. But God has used my chains to actually advance the ministry of the gospel through, the, through its reverse of what, of what you might expect. Paul's main concern here as a mature man of God is to help the Philippians not overly concerned, not overly be concerned about him because of his circumstances. Don't look at me. 
I'm full of joy, he says. So he tells, his, tells him that his situation has actually turned out great. He refers to my circumstance, literally, the things concerning me, all the stuff that tends to turn the focus on me has actually turned the focus on Christ. Now, let's do that. That's our job right here. Whatever is going on in your life, let's turn that focus on what's happening in your life to Christ. Learn how to do that. Whatever is going on in your life, turn that focus over to Christ, that he may be glorified. Turning out means to come or go. Paul is saying all these tough times are going God's way. My imprisonment is helping others come to Christ. The word greater is more or most. Instead of lessening his impact for Christ, Paul's house arrest has increased it. Imagine that. What, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Instead of lessening his impact for Christ, Paul's arrest has increased it. The word progress, again, that word is a root meaning to cut forward the imagery of cutting your way through the jungle to make a path in spite of its obstacles. God has caused my circumstance to cut a path for the gospel through the jungle of Roman pagan thinking. I'm passionately pursuing God's purpose. All his, this difficulty has turned out for God's glory. If Paul were fighting, were fighting God, questioning his situation in jail, imagine. So that's what we do as we're mature. He, he, he would be, uh, he'd be missing the joy when we're fighting God and we're saying, God, this isn't fair. Take this away from my life. I don't want this. Take it away. We're, we're trying to get a, uh, off of God's purpose in our lives. And God, that joy is missed because we start complaining. But because of his choice to focus on Christ over his circumstance and set his cell for God's purposes, then instead of the storm of his circumstance sinking his life, it actually blows him towards accomplishing his life's passion, the proclamation of the gospel bringing him joy. What is the gospel, my brothers and sisters? What is the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Do you know how to explain the gospel? Do you know how to share the gospel? We should, if we're Christians, because obviously we were saved by the, by the work of the gospel. The gospel means good news, the joyful truth of how God has provided a way for sinners to be forgiven through Christ, because it's been distorted and cheapened in our day and needs some clarification. The good news is only for those who, one, fully admit their total corruption because of their own sin. We're sinners. All of us have fallen short of the mark of perfection. We're all sinful people before God. Two, fully admit there's only one cure for sin, the work of Christ on the cross. It's only the work of Christ on the cross that is our only hope. Three, fully comply by the work of God in total dependent faith and directional repentance. Four, demonstrate their salvation is real by a sold out willing heart and obvious fruit. Sometimes we don't get to point four. We forget about that. That we got to, that, that our faith is sold out, that we have a willing heart heart and that it, there's obvious fruit. Is there fruit in your life? Let's examine ourselves that there's fruit in our lives. Because if there isn't, then maybe your salvation wasn't a true, genuine salvation. Maybe you have not yet been born again. You have not turned away from your sin and repented and put your faith in Christ. Do that today if you haven't done so. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you can get right with God. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You may walk out of here and get struck by a bus or get in an accident or whatnot may happen. But at the end of the day, we all will die and stand before God on Judgment Day. And we got to get right with God while we have still life in us. The gospel transforms and delivers those who, who it touches from sin. People don't turn over a new leaf. They receive a totally new 
life. The heart of stone is given by a heart of flesh. The things you once hated and loved, you now hate. And you love the things that God loves. They don't get religion. They enter into a relationship. They don't merely know about Christ. They, he lives in them. This is Paul's meant meat and potatoes. The gospel is the staple that fed his appetite. It's the passion that drove his choices. The gospel is a very beat of Paul's heart. He desired everyone to hear the message of absolute truth. The good news for a broken world, the only route to be right with God. The gospel is the path to internal transformation, the only way to heaven, the only escape from hell. The gospel is the only door to know, to love, and to enjoy God. And the gospel is the only path that leads to inexpressible joy now and joy everlasting in heaven. Amen? Paul wants to make sure his friends in Philippi clearly understand how difficult circumstances have affected the gospel. To his delight and perhaps his surprise, his last five years have actually advanced the gospel. Paul was in chains, but the gospel was loose and free. And the gospel fire spread in two major ways. First, making Christ known to unbelievers. Making Christ known to unbelievers. Read verse 13. Let's read verse 13 together. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else. With the first two verse, words of 13, Paul connects his, this verse to the previous one showing how the gospel has advanced. Again, the title of today's sermon is The Advancement of the Gospel, How the Gospel Has Advanced. Paul's house arrest has a dramatic effect on unbelievers. Paul says it's clear to all who've had any association with him that his imprisonment, literally his chains, his chains, because remember, Paul's writing this in chains, and this chains has to do with Christ and the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news. Verse 13, in the cause of Christ, that's not on behalf of Christ or for Christ, but literally in Christ. By stating it in just this way, Paul is saying, I'm in chains because I am a man in Christ. And, in my and my chains are in part a demonstration of the one who is participating in the sufferings of Christ himself because I am in Christ. We get to participate in the sufferings of Christ because Christ is in us. Paul's imprisonment in Christ is nothing short of amazing. God takes five years where it appears to all that Paul has been set aside, yet God uses him to impact the most influential people in the entire Roman Empire. Again, verse 13 says, My imprisonment is in the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. The NSB, NS, NASB says the Praetorian Guard, KJV says in all the palace, and the NIV says the whole palace guard. So is Paul referring to a palace or to a group of soldiers? Since there is no praetorian in Rome and no governor's palace, then it's best to see Paul describing a special elite group of soldiers, and this is incredible. Sometimes we read the scripture and we skip things, right? We don't really like pay attention to some things, but it's important that when we read it, we kind of analyze it and see what's going on there. Paul would have loved to come to Rome and preach the gospel to the entire Colosseum. Wouldn't you love to go to the White House and preach the gospel to everyone in there in the White House and in the Senate and the Capitol? May, we, may, some, may God raise some people to do that because I think it's very much needed in our country today. 
Do you realize what God did? God put him under house arrest for nearly two years so he'd write the New Testament and so Paul could reach the unreachable. God has a plan for your life you can't see. But one day when you look back on your life, you'll, be, you'll marvel at God's wisdom. Just like you do when you look at Paul under house arrest. For two years, every four hours, Paul is chained to a different guard. Think about that. Paul, every four hours, there's a different guard chained to Paul. Like right there, right next to him. These praetorian guards were the elite soldiers of Rome. They were the private soldiers of Caesar himself. They were across, they were across between a modern-day Navy SEAL and a CIA agent who functions as a bodyguard to the president. Caesar personally chose these soldiers himself. They were the highest-paid soldiers in the Roman Empire during that time. They retired after 12 to 16 years, most often becoming the leaders in Rome. These were men who became the future senators, businessmen, and community leaders of Rome. There was not a mere, there's not a mere strategic group Paul witnesses to, could witness to in order to reach the entire Roman Empire. Paul was arrested, but God was mightily at work. Get this, God put Paul in Rome, let Nero foot the bill, and chained him to the future leader of Rome, and did so one soldier every four hours. You guys see God? At work there, God is letting Paul be a voice, the gospel message being coming forward to the main center of the government of Rome at that time. Let me ask you, who do you think the real prisoner was? I can hear those men saying, get me out of here. This guy is trying to convert me. Have you ever had a co-worker, someone close to you tell you that? Man, you're just trying to convert me. You're trying to shove your... God down my throat, you know, as some people would say, but no, we love you, we care about you, and that's why we tell you the truth of the gospel, because we want you to repent and put your faith in Christ. And you got to speak, don't be a jerk about it, you got to speak it out of love because in concern, because if they die without Christ, they will be going to hell for all of eternity. But I can see the guards there saying, get me out of here, this guy is trying to convert me, Paul trying to convert the prison guards. Verse 13 says, the whole Praetorian guard was Paul's prisoners, chained to him to hear the gospel. In two years, if Paul had a different soldier chained him every four hours, and he witnessed the 4,380 future leaders of Rome. Of course, many were repeats, but it's still, Paul had over 4,380 witnessing opportunities to have the leadership of the Roman Empire. That's over one quarter of the total number of guards. Plus, they watched him live, sleep, write the New Testament, and be filled with the Spirit. They heard him share with friends, pray for them, praise God, and so much more. Remember, Paul's writing to Philippi, a place where... A famous Roman battle was fought in the past. Remember Brutus and Cassius who killed Julius Caesar. Caesar's hair is Mark Anthony and Octavian confronted the assassins of Caesar in a final battle to finish the rebellion created by the assassination. And the battle was right there in Philippi. After the battle, thousands of soldiers started their retirement right there in Philippi, including many Praetorian. As a result, the Philippians were totally tied into the Roman military and would, have, would be rejoicing over this news the praetorian guard also by the very nature had an inside track to the emperor and to the empire because they were right there on the top in the inns listen to the, the, the uh, paul in philippians chapter 4 verse 22 at the end of this gospel almost 422 all the saints greet you especially those of caesar's household history tells us members of nero's family became believers imagine that nero hated christians Yet God saved people of his household. And history declares that Nero killed his wife, mother, and children because they became believers. Nero was a crazy guy who blamed the Christians for the fire in Rome. 
How did it happen because of Paul? That's what I call a chained reaction. Paul had a captive audience. Good, you're away. Paul didn't look at the chain or the way it rubbed his wrist raw. He focused on the opportunity chained to the other end, the praetorian who needed Christ. As a result, verse 13 says, Paul had become well known. Paul literally got a reputation. He was the talk of the town. For it wasn't only the guards who heard the word, but verse 13 ends with, and everyone else, literally all the remaining. Paul was headline news. Paul's influence went far beyond Caesar's palace. Today, everyone wants to know what's going on in the White House, even with politics going on in the news. What's going on in the White House? People on the news, you know, what the reporters are going right now. What's, what's Trump doing? What's this doing? What's Biden doing? We're even curious about what's going on in even other parts of the, in England, the Buckingham Palace or some other parts of the world. What's going on with other leaders in the world? So the news of Paul's message, the good news of Christ spread it to all who had dealings with imperial affairs, anyone who had contact with the royal family, all who were tied into the Praetorian Guard, anyone interested in the, pal in the palace, the entire city of Rome was hearing about the gospel. Are you catching up with what this means to the first century reader, the church of Philippi, and so, and to Paul? This is a slam dunk joy, an amazing triumph, and a ha-ha, hallelujah celebration, victory dance. Picture it, you live in Rome or Philippi, which is full-fledged Roman colony that follows Caesar as Lord. You've been put in prison for following Christ as Lord. The Philippians whom you're writing to are also suffering for the followings of Christ as Lord. Yet as you read what Paul writes, what you're reading is the lordship of Christ over Caesar is already making itself felt through the power of the gospel into the very heart and leadership of Roman political life. The gospel is going through the top of the top. The gospel is not just for the poor or the rich, but for everyone, no matter who you are. Even Nero's own family is following Jesus as Lord over Nero as Lord. Look at that. Think about that. Nero claims to be the Lord, and yet his family is following the real true Lord, Christ. And this is all in your face. To those who tried to silence Paul in the first place, the very thing they hoped would quiet Paul imprisonment actually made the gospel known throughout the leadership of the entire Roman Empire. God has a sense of humor or some sort of some cleverness. They try to prison him, and yet God is using the imprisonment to go reach out to the people in, his, in the empire. And I think there's at least one family in Philippi who must have cracked up and shouted a joy when they read this. The Philippian jailer must have said, there he goes again. Paul is turning jail time into an evangelistic outreach event. I just love that, man. So Paul says, I am in prison, but so what? Unbelievers are hearing the good news. There was no human way anyone was going to reach the leaders of Rome or the house of the Caesar without the gospel, with the gospel. So God designed the perfect solution that Paul put Paul in prison, chained to the future leaders of Rome who are the bodyguards of Caesar and his family. Can you see how this sh should minister to you, to your own heart? If you pursue God's priorities first, listen to this, if you pursue God's priorities first, if you want to glorify God, if you want to Christ exalted above all, then whatever you're going through is also an opportunity to share Christ. Amen? Going through surgery, have one prayer. Lord, glorify yourself. Make yourself known. Honor yourself and he will. Maybe someone's watching, they're in, in bed in hospital. Witness to the nurses, to the doctors. Show the joy that you have in Christ if you're a believer. If you're not, then come to Christ and know Christ. But if you are, you should have joy in your heart, no matter where you're at. Problems with your kids, maybe the way God will use, will use that to bring them to Christ or use them to bring others to Christ. 
Students chained to a desk at school is an opportunity to share the gospel or in college. Whatever the issue is may be in your life, we have joy through difficult circumstances as we see the gospel progress to an unbelieving world. But it didn't stop there. Paul was also rejoicing because his difficult circumstances were all second. We're encouraging believers. So one is to unbelievers, two is to believers to speak God's word to a lost world with courage. We sometimes encourage to share God's word in our, in our surroundings. Look at verse 14. And that most of the brothers trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage, right there, courage to speak the word of God without fear. Do we have courage to speak the word of God without fear? Maybe sometimes we're like, man, what will they say about me? What, they will ridicule me. They'll make fun of me. They'll think I'm a hallelujah, Jesus freak. You know, what's, what, we, we have that fear of man, but we should not. Paul's imprisonment dramatically affected non-believers, but it also wonderfully affected the Christian community in Rome too. His imprisonment for the cause of Christ didn't drive the Christian to the catacombs of secrecy, but it did spur them on an aggressive action for Christ. Even though Paul would prefer to evangelize freely, he rejoices that his arresting curtailment was used by God to prod others to speak out boldly. Look carefully at what Paul says. The majority of the Christians in Rome are speaking up. Verse 15, Paul describes a few genuine Christians who were preaching the gospel correctly but with wrong motives. And we're looking at, we'll look at that next week about those who are preaching the gospel correctly but with wrong motives. In verse 14, Paul says, most of the brothers, then he uses a unique phrase, trusting in the Lord. The NIVC has been encouraged. KJV says, waxing confident. The idea is confidence in the Lord. Most have been Persuaded in the Lord by my imprisonment to speak out courageously about the word of God. Paul says, my imprisonment, literally the instrument of my chains, persuaded them to speak confidently about the gospel to the lost. Sometimes when I was out there open air preaching in the, in the streets and college campuses, I see other Christians. And obviously, you know, some people would be mean and ridiculing and calling you names and just blaspheming the name of the Lord. But other Christians listening would be encouraged and be like, praise God, I want to, you know. I encourage what you're doing, and that will stir, hopefully, them to be able to share with their friends at a later time where, where God puts them in their, in their path. So sometimes if you're going through something difficultly and you have the joy of the Lord in you and you're sharing the message, that'll, that will motivate the brothers and sisters around you to do that same. Man, look at him. He's going through that hard thing, but yet he has the joy of the Lord, and he's being a witness of Christ. That is an encouragement. And people saw that in Paul. He's in jail, but yet he's full of joy and he's sharing the gospel with the prison guards and with anyone and everyone who, was, who God put in his path. So Paul says, my imprisonment, literally the instrument of my chains, persuaded him to speak confidently about the gospel to the lost. You know how this goes. Your Roman buddy asks you, hey, have you heard about that guy, Paul, who's in jail for following Christ? I hear some of the Praetorian are also following this Christ too. What's this all about anyway? Isn't that the same Christ you were telling me about? And at that moment, it's time to put or shut up. And most of the Christians were boldly speaking up. It's creating a, a buzz. Something was going on in that, in that time. And everybody was hearing about this Christ and Paul and being bold for the, for the, for the, for the name of Christ. What are we afraid of anyway? Why won't we speak up for Christ? Answer, not only is our society pagan now, but it's also anti-Christian. You guys know we live in an anti-Christian world, right? The possibility of jail or attack is real, and the possibility of being labeled is a certainty. One of the greatest threats 
To Christian courage in our day is the fear that we will be labeled with scat scatting names and hurtful association. We fear being classed with certain fringe groups, being called racist. Oh, if you say something, you might be a racist, or you might be a sexist, or, or you might be a homophobic, or extremist, or a fanatic. These are labels that they're putting upon Christians today for speaking the truth of the gospel. I dislike all these terms, and I don't want those labels like you probably don't want them either. I prefer to avoid being called those names, and that's the danger because we're afraid of being accused or slandered with words that are spring-loaded to destroy or we remain silent. May we not remain silent. May we speak the word of the gospel. And if we speak, we try to avoid anything that might allow someone to label us, which actually makes the truth right out of our absolute. Only one way... To call for submission and all other religion is wrong. Those who are Christ live like Christ and are sold out for Christ's gospel. Here's the charge. Don't give into fear. Live by faith. Share the true gospel. When, we, when the label is spoken, tell them they've got it all wrong and share about the person of Christ. Then prove to them the way you, the, the, the way you love that the label can't stick. So speak truth, but speak it in love. Don't be a jerk again. Speak it out of love. See, them, see that, that you care about them, that you want them to know Christ. In contrast to our day, the Roman Christians reacted totally different to the pressure against following Christ. Look at verse 14. They had courage, literally persuaded. How? Verse 14. Have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Because of Paul's imprisonment, they'd taken on the extraordinary boldness, fearless, proclaiming God's word to all who'd listen don't miss what's actually happening here. The, la the letter was written in the early 60s when Nero's madness was peaking and the church in Rome had begun to fall under suspicion proven by Nero blaming the burning of Rome on the Christians just a few years later. So these were tough times, kind of like what we're living in today, but not to, maybe not to that extreme. But the Roman believers had been cautiously sharing Christ, but as the gospel made inroads into the palace and the leadership of the Roman Empire throughout the imprisonment of Paul, the Christians of Rome became lions in witnessing, even, in, even as persecution was looming on the horizon. Sometimes persecution, sometimes it's a good thing for the church. It'll actually start weeding out the false converts and spurring the true ones to speak the truth with boldness and zeal. Again, what an encouragement to the Philippian believers who are now experiencing some of the same kind of persecution in the Roman colony of Philippi. If Christians in Rome can fearlessly share the word all the, the more courageously than the implication so can the Roman Christians who live in Philippi, so can the Christians who live in Covina, in Glendora, San Dimas, Pomona, Whittier, Fontana, Los Angeles, right? Can we also be like that? Get this, Paul isn't emphasizing lifestyle or holiness there, though that's commanded later. Verse 14, he says their boldness, there's bold fearlessness is seen how, how they speak. They talk, they declare, they are open about the word of God. The cause of Christ and the true gospel of Christ. Say it, share it, speak it. And what did they speak? Verse 14, the word of God. Which parallels Paul's re reference to the progress of the gospel. The progress of the gospel, the word of God. In verse 12, and the cause of Christ. Verse 13, the word of God, the progress of the gospel, and the cause of Christ. In a not-so-subtle manner, Paul is reminding the Philippians and to us not to just talk about church, pastors, preachers, sermons, studies, programs, but to talk 
to people about the word of God. Amen? Tell them the Bible. Paul charged the Romans in 1017. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. Amen? The word of Christ. The reason for Paul's joy is this. His arrest has somehow helped stem fear among the believers in Rome. They're not only proclaiming Christ all the more, they are doing so fearlessly. So how do you gain courage to proclaim Christ? That's the question, right? You're like, well, okay, I, I get it, Pastor Kevin, I understand. But how do I gain, how do you gain courage to proclaim Christ? How do I get that fire, that passion in me? And I want it too, because sometimes I, I kind of slack off. You know, you kind of lay back. You're not as passionate as you once were. I mean, I remember those times where I was preaching the gospel in the open air to the, anyone who was passing by. You know, I didn't care. You know, I didn't care if they looked, what they said to me, how they looked at me. I would just have the joy of the Lord to share what Christ had done in my life. And sometimes we need that reminder, how, what, where has God saved you from? What has he taken you out of? And we got to be thankful for what he's done in your life of saving you. So one, be filled with the spirit. Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. We need to be filled with the spirit. Two, own the correct job description. You share, but God saves. You don't save anyone. God saves. You share, God saves. And that's a burden off my shoulders. I don't got to convince them that they, you know, convince them into heaven. God's the one who's going to do the supernatural work of salvation in their lives. Sharing the gospel is what glorifies God, whether someone responds or not. Listen to me, guys. Sharing the gospel is what glorifies God, whether someone responds or not. It's not your job to convert them. It's God's. It's God who saves. It's people who share. Your job is simple. My job is simple. Just share the gospel. Know the gospel and share the gospel. Learn the correct gospel, the authentic one. Ephesians 2.1. Let's read Ephesians 2.1. You see how I couldn't pack everything into one sermon? We'll finish next week. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously live according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spiritual, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshy desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children of wrath as others were also. Learn the God. We talked about the gospel earlier, uh, previously. I mentioned the four points. Memorize some opening comments like these. If you'd like to know the difference between religion and Christianity, let me know. Or who, in your opinion, was Jesus Christ? Or what's your spiritual background? Or where are you heading on your spiritual journey? These are icebreakers. These are ways to start a spiritual conversation with somebody. Start from the natural and swing to the spiritual. That's our job, to be able to share the gospel with them. Pray for the lost, then pray as you speak to the lost. Trust Christ and open your mouth. The furtherance of the gospel was everything to Paul. This is why he had joy in five years of difficult circumstances. This is how he could rise above his problems and rejoice. He was passionate about God's purposes over his own. He had died and now Christ lived through him and show and share the message of how people can be forgiven for all their sins and justified with God. That gives you joy. Paul's under arrest, yet he's able to share the gospel with the elite of Rome. what's your excuse? Not none, right? 
Yet he's able to share the gospel with the elite. And because Paul is in prison, the believers of Rome are as bold as lions for Christ. Most did it right, but few did it wrong. To... So we'll, we'll find out more next week about how some of them did it wrong. First, if you need to restore your joy, then live in the spirit. Live dependent, not independent. Stop sinning. Don't actively or passively remain in obvious disobedience to the word of God. Refuse to remain attached to the comforts of this world. Pursue God's purposes with all your heart. Look at Christ and not at the waves of problems around you. Second, if you need to increase your boldness and walk in the spirit. Be dependently filled every day. Keep short accounts with God. Let no sin remain unresolved. Live by faith, by stepping out of your comfort zone, by serving when you don't have the time or energy, by giving when you don't have it to give, by sharing when you don't have the words to speak. Live by faith. It is time for some radical, God-centered, risk-taking, share the gospel. Some of us have way too, are, are way too comfortable. We need to break out of our deeply ingrained habits of timidity, silence, and fear. We need to be set free from long-established anxieties of ruffling feathers or being made fun of. We need to be free to speak the truth in love without looking over our shoulder at the ridicule that follows. Joy comes when we speak out, so be bold. And third and last, if you need more passion, to be more passionate, then rekindle your first love with Christ. We read that in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Recognize how lost people are without Christ. Watch them until your heart breaks for them. Let the reality of heaven and hell impact you. Joy comes with passion. Actually, the last one is, if you need strength, you trust, then believe in, that God is in control over peop, all people and over all the events of your life. You forgot that Joseph said to his brother in Genesis 50, verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Focus on Christ through your trial. Don't look at the waves of your problems. Expect Christ to open doors for you to glorify him throughout your difficulty. And lastly, if you find yourself submissive, if you find yourself not submissive to Christ, then you're not saved. All of those who are in Christ follow Christ. John 10, 27 says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Are we obedient to his voice? Or are we disobedient? John 3, 36, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Either we're obedient or we're disobedient. Either we're following Christ or we're not following Christ. We're following our own self. Not transformed in the heart, I need to be born again by God. Cry out for Christ to open your heart. Ask for mercy. Plead with Christ to save you from your sins if you're not in Christ. Let's pray. Salvation and boldness equals joy. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning, Lord, for your word, Lord. I pray that we would have boldness in our hearts, Lord, that we would want to be just full of joy, Lord, as we share the gospel with our family, our friends, our co-workers, the people you put in our path, that we would, Lord, be thankful for what you've done in our lives. If we're saved, Lord, we know that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, Lord, not our own works, Lord. But let us bear fruit in, Lord, being ambassadors, being your disciples, Lord, seeking to fulfill the great commission to preach the gospel to the ends of this earth, Lord. So give us boldness, Lord, to all of us who are here, Lord, that we would be on fire for you, Jesus, and that we would um, be about your business, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.